The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 7, Run Silent, Run Deep. Descent, Part 1. Written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, and Cody Martin. The Echo Locker Room was packed. Bulwark's full team of trainees was suiting up for duty for a fairly routine and very dull escort mission for the retirees of Echo. There weren't a lot of them, enough to take up about two cars of the Marta Red Line train from the airport, about two or three retirees per escort. One of those escorts was very loud. Loud out of all proportion to his size. I am telling you, Bulwark and the blue chick, the CMO, are totally getting it on. I heard it all over in Echo Med. He's over there practically every night, and <laughs> what else would you be doing with a gal that that's smoking hot? Frank, who had taken the call sign of Frankentrain, had been a member of Echo two years before the invasion in, of all places, Providence, Rhode Island. His power was that his skin was nearly granite tough, and he was, as he put it, pretty hard to kill. He and the only other Optu in Providence had both been steam locomotive hobbyists, and had been at an antique rail museum working on one of their babies when the invasion began. His friend, who, unfortunately, had been stronger but not nearly as hard to kill, had squeezed boilerplate into makeshift armor for both of them before they answered the red alert. Frank had kept the armor, now worn over a nano-weave suit, and kept the nickname he'd picked up that day as his call sign. "'I don't know, Frank.' drawled paperback rider, from the corner where he was, as always, half immersed in a book, print scrolling over his paper-white face as he read. Bulwark just doesn't seem like the type. Really doesn't seem like the type. If I were making bets, it would be on... chess matches, maybe. Frankentrain guffawed. You have got to be kidding me. Her? <laughs> I'd say more like a chest matches, if you know what I mean. I bet her chest size just about matches her IQ. But <laughs> you don't date a chick like that for intellectual talk. More like the other four-letter word, right? Huh? Frank had not noticed that the entire rest of the room had gone oddly quiet. Man, I envy him. What's he got that's so special anyway? He's got about the same amount of expression as a brick. If he's not all over her, he'd have to have the same IQ as a block of linoleum. And hell, we all know he's not that dumb. Nah, he's totally doing her. Absolutely. I am so sure I would bet on it. I... Frank felt a chill as an enormous shadow fell over him. He's right behind me, isn't he? Yes, Frankentrain. I am. Bulwark rumpled. Don't you think you should be armored up by now? Bella smiled for the cameras. There were hundreds of them, and that didn't count the cell phones and so on in the hands of the audience. She smiled and stayed one careful step behind Vertigree, but kept the artful hip-shot swimsuit model poses that the cameras wanted. Vertigree had ordered a special uniform for her just for this occasion— in her personal opinion, it looked like something a very high-class role-playing hooker would wear for a client, but based on a doctor's smock rather than a nurse's uniform. It was just that tiny bit too form-fitting showed just a little too much cleavage for anyone to take her seriously. Which was the point, probably. It had the Echo logo superimposed on the standard red cross just over her right breast. 
I hate this, she thought resentfully. She wasn't even sure why she was here. She hadn't been on the Echo Campus on the day of the invasion. It would make more sense to have someone who had been there standing here now. On the other hand, this might be her one best shot to get at Verd and give him that stroke. She'd been completely unable to get anywhere near him until now. Her requests to make reports in person had been sloughed off, and anywhere he went in public, Kanjar was right at his elbow. Now, she wasn't. She was directly behind him, but standing behind Bella, and her attention was directed more at the audience than the people on the podium. I bet at some point he's going to grab me around the waist for some sort of photo op. That would be the time to do it. Ramona and the others were confident that the charter plot was going to work, but she wasn't so sure. After all, this was Verdigree they were dealing with. He had a history of being one step ahead of his enemies. So what should it be? Should it be something minor in the cerebral cortex, something that would just hamper him? While that was the option that gave her the fewest ethical heebie-jeebies, and it was the safest for her since it was unlikely Kanjar would even notice she had done anything, it wasn't one she particularly favored. Because this was Verdigree. For all she knew, his brain could rewire itself in a situation like that. So the only other options were a psionic lobotomy, something massive to turn him into a vegetable, or something fatal. Which might very well turn fatal for her if Kanjar decided correctly that Bella was the cause when Verd collapsed. Bella reckoned the odds were about 50-50 that Kanjar would do just that. Higher than that, if Kanjar remembered how Bella had taken out that gangbanger back when she was just a DCO. She glanced over to Verdigree's other side, where Yankee Pride stood, looking entirely comfortable with the attention, yet appropriately solemn. Would Pride notice in time to intervene if Kanjar attacked? Could he hold the assassin off if he did? Did she want him to try? Well, no. Because tough as he was, he wasn't ready to take on an assassin in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Which of us is more important to Echo? Him or me? Him. Of course. Behind them was the monument. It was elevated on a Carrera marble pedestal that had bronze plaques with the names of all of the Echo Metas that had died in the invasion. It was a very tall pedestal. They were on a platform in front of it, and the pedestal top ended about six feet from the top of the platform. There would be no climbing up on it to view parades and tag the extremely expensive sculpture itself with graffiti. Bella had no idea what the sculpture looked like. No one did. Right now, it was swathed in a huge blanket of canvas, banked by two jumbotrons so that everyone could see Verdigree as if they were in their own living room. She was pretty sure it cost enough to keep every school in Atlanta funded for the next ten years. It had been created by a computer rather than an artist, and it would be devoid of meaning. Well, except as a monument to just how rich Verdigree was, since he'd been making the point he'd funded this out of his own personal fortune. Everyone had begun to line up just right. The news vans had already disgorged their news teams, who had all set up their cameras and lights, jockeying for position to get the best shot of the unveiling of the Echo Memorial for the Invasion. Verdigree was busy making small talk with all of the luminaries that he had invited, or who had invited themselves. No one wanted to be left out of this event. There was still a lot of unrest, especially among the journalists, about Echo. Why weren't they doing more? Why were there still Thulean attacks? When would everyone be safe and how it was all Echo's fault? He'd been carefully manipulating opinions for the last month to be more favorable toward Echo. 
nothing too overt, but just enough so that today's events would serve as a catalyst for a wave of overwhelming support. That support would help him get done what needed to be done, what had to be done. Sometimes, Vertigree wanted to just sit down in front of the cameras and outline for the whole world how if they just did what he said, then everything would make sense and go so much smoother and more efficiently. All they had to do was follow his directions completely and without question. After all, wasn't he arguably the smartest man in the world? Shouldn't they just quit jockeying with each other and listen to him for a change? Vertigree flashed another perfect and perfectly fake smile as he shook hands with the mayor. The world didn't work that way, unfortunately. Nothing would be so simple that he could just lay everything out for everyone and have it happen. Today, however, would work. Another thing that needed to happen for the good of everyone, even if they didn't know or agree with it. He was aware of Bella Dawn Parker behind him and Kanjar behind her. Bella was performing exactly as expected, eye candy for the cameras with an outfit he had strategically picked out. She posed as if she had been born to model. Sex sells no matter what anyone will tell you. He needed to sell her right now not only as the brainless bimbo, but also as the calendar fodder. Both images served his purposes. After today, she would become irrelevant anyway. All of Echo Medical would be replaced by his own people, people he was completely in control of. Without Ramona Ferrari around to issue orders, they'd flounder in the crisis he was about to manufacture, and he'd have all the excuse he could ask for to shut them down and replace them with medics who would be sure to follow his orders. Just a little longer. That's all he needed. There's that word again. Need. Verdigree wasn't used to it. He'd never had needs, outside of the basic ones. He'd had desires, all of which he was able to fulfill with relative ease, either through his immense wealth or his intellect, or both. But today he needed everything to go right. His life, his future depended on it. It was an uncomfortable feeling, at best. He did his best to push it away as he moved on to the next city politician that had come to make an appearance and use the valuable photo opportunity. For all of the ire that Echo and Metahumans had received for not doing enough during and since the invasion, no one could afford to be seen as being anything but supportive of the Metahumans that were really all that stood between them and the Kriegers. Verdigree noticed Kanjar out of the corner of his eye. She caught his attention, subtly motioning that it was time to begin. Good. The sooner this is over, the sooner I can move forward with far more enjoyable things. He checked his PDA. Excellent. All the flights had been delayed just enough so that the Echo retirees were still all waiting for the baggage or slowly tottering up to the waiting point for the special Echo Marta Express downtown. They'd be delayed just enough to miss the ceremony, and as he had planned, they'd be sitting on the shuttle when he was about halfway through his planned address. He graciously disengaged from the crowd of VIPs on the stage, waiting for everyone to take their positions before he approached the podium. Once he saw that everyone was ready, he turned to the news cameras and the gathered crowd, smiling, before composing his face in an appropriately solemn expression. The cameras got their cue from Kanji, who was supposed to be his executive assistant. They all focused on him. The jumbotrons above his head filled with his face, and the speakers up and down the plaza went live. Flawlessly, of course. No squeals of feedback for Vertigree Electronics. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank all of you for joining us here today. 
on the anniversary of the invasion. Bulwark looked over the specially modded martyr trains for the Echo veterans and winced inwardly. As part of the festivities, the mayor had seized upon the opportunity to showcase the next generation of transit cars that had been sped up through production to replace those that had been destroyed during the invasion. Only three of the seven train cars were actually new, having just been finished that week. The first car at the front, and the two luxury passenger cars at the rear reserved for the veterans. In theory, every car could be the engine. They all had control booths and were automatically slaved to the car in the lead, but the lead today didn't even necessarily need a driver, though it had one. They certainly looked sleeker, he had to admit, but certain features had been lost in the rush for development. For one thing, the old models had allowed for easy access between cars. These new cars were sealed, each car separated from the rest. He didn't like it. Too many holes in their security, too many ways for their defenses to be compromised. Not that he really expected anything to go awry, but still, he had been tasked with escorting their honored guests, and he always took his tasks seriously. And while he thought of himself as a patriotic sort, the wild and erratic red, white, and blue markings that enveloped each car seemed rather gauche. Even worse, the insertion of the four older model train cars in the middle gave the whole ensemble a sloppy patchwork effect. Overwatch to Bulwark. Go ahead, Bull said. All of your charges are suffering delays, either in the baggage handling system or ground traffic control. Does that seem odd to you? Bulwark humphed. It's ATL Overwatch. Their on-time record isn't exactly sterling. Roger that. Advise that you're not going to make it for the ceremony. Out. Well, we'll just see about that, Bulwark rumbled. He glanced around the platform, spotted one of the on-site organizers, and made his way over to her. She was a young girl, early twenties he would have guessed, if not just by her appearance, but her overwhelming sense of purpose and enthusiasm. She clutched her tablet-sized PDA with aplomb and flashed a dazzling smile as she directed her crew to ready the train for departure. She gave particular instructions regarding the special passenger cars at the rear, peppering her underlings with enthusiastic reminders concerning the comfort of the guests of honor. And let's not forget those special cushions those darling children at the hospital made for today. I want one on each and every seat. Let's make sure those heroes have a safe and comfortable ride into the city. Now move, people! Shoo! Excuse me, miss, Bull said, and nodded politely to her. It would seem we're running the risk of being late for the ceremonies. Is there anything we might do to speed things along? Oh, wow, you're one of those Echo people, the girl gushed. I'm sorry, sir, you know how these things go. Scheduling never takes flight delays and such into account. I'm sure our guests will be right along, and we'll have them down to the celebration lickety-split. Please, miss. Tammy, she provided, helpfully. Please, Miss Tammy, Bulwark said with exaggerated patience. I would appreciate your help in this matter. It would be a very poor showing if we arrived late. Oh, father, she scoffed with a flamboyant wave of her hand. I'm sure they'll wait. These are very special guests, after all. Please, Bull repeated. Oh, fine, fine, Tammy said, and tapped on her earpiece. 
Sheila, can you give me an update on our guests? Are they through the... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, that's simply darling, really? Well, please ask him to wrap it up. Nicely, of course. I'm sure security is simply enthralled by his D-Day stories, but he's got a ceremony to make and we're running late. Thanks, Sheila. You're a peach. Love to Sammy. Talk to you soon, sweetie. She turned back to Bulwark and grinned. They're just coming out of security. We'll have them on the train before you know it. Tammy glanced back at the train and rolled her eyes. That is, if my people could just follow a few simple instructions. Bull sighed. I appreciate your, uh, attention to detail, Miss Tammy, but I have to question if all that frivolity is really necessary. I would rather the train be ready to leave as soon as the passengers are on board. Frivolity? She gasped in dismay. Mr. Hero, I would think you of all people would want these brave souls to have every bitty bit of respect we can show them. Don't you think we owe them that, hmm? Didn't they serve this country and risk their lives day in and day out, all in the name of peace and justice and all that good stuff, hmm? I was told to get them downtown in style, and that's just what I'm going to do. And I'll have you know that I personally worked on those lace curtains. She sniffed. If you want to speed things along, perhaps you and your people could lend a hand. Bull looked at her, helplessly, and returned to his trainees. We're running behind, he told them. Get in there and help them set up the doilies. He was met with incredulous looks and smirks, which disappeared once they saw he wasn't kidding. With Bull, it was sometimes hard to tell. A few of them muttered a few choice oaths about menial tasks, but proceeded into the train to assist the prep crew all the same. Most had learned the hard way not to disobey Bull's orders. You too, Ryder, Bull said. Paperback Ryder looked up from his book. Huh? What? Ryder was never without a book in his hands. Like so many of the newest crop of metahumans, his power had triggered on the day of the invasion, and it was an odd one. Whatever he read vanished from the page as he read it, and became briefly a part of him. If there was a character with a skill or a power in what he read, he had that skill or power until he used it. But as he used it, the print of the book scrolled rapidly across his paper-white face and hands, his whole body bulwark presumed, though he never asked and once it was gone, so was that skill. And he could never use the same book twice. When he wasn't in action, print still scrolled over him, but Bulwark assumed it was from one or another of the random books he had read, things that would give a man social skills, because he thought he could detect minor changes in Ryder's personality from time to time. Echo simply made sure he had a steady supply of volumes of men's action-adventure, science fiction, fantasy, and metahuman fiction— and the occasional instructional manual for variety. They'd never given him metahuman nonfiction, however, unless the meta in question was long dead. No one wanted to find out what would happen if he absorbed a book about, say, Yankee Pride. Get in there and help them out, Bull said, and frowned when he realized Ryder was reading the operator's manual for the new line of Marta trains. Where did you get that? It was lying on the conductor's seat. Ryder said with a shrug. Thought I'd absorb something while we were just sitting around. Never know when it might come in handy. Well, you're not sitting around, not anymore, 
Bulwark pointed at the train. Go help. Ryder sighed but got to his feet and shuffled off with his comrades. Dusty, troubadour Markelhay wasn't your typical meta. He wasn't gifted with highly destructive powers or a chiseled jaw or washboard abs that so many Echo Ops seem to have. He was rather homely, actually. The standard-issue Echo Nanoweave clung to his disproportionate frame and bulged in all the wrong places. He had a noticeable limp, and years of persistent skin problems had left his face pockmarked and rather unsightly. Dusty did, however, possess a remarkable smile. It was an odd power, but when he flashed those pearly whites, he found he could talk people into doing just about anything. A wry grin could smooth over a small argument. An open smile would get him into a complete stranger's confidence in an instant. A chuckle could bring an entire room to hysterical laughter, even without the benefit of a joke. He supposed his was an ability that could be easily abused, but the thought never crossed his mind. Fortunately, Dusty was one of those rare individuals whose entire purpose was to help his fellow man. Someone once described it as the hunger to feed mankind, and he had to admit that was a nice way of putting it. He enjoyed life, he enjoyed people, and when Echo had come knocking on his door, he had jumped at the chance to join and serve. The problem was, no one had really wanted him on their team. Not even Spin Doctor. His powers didn't seem to work over video capture. It had been Bulwark, of course, who had agreed to take him on. Bull had seen something in him that no one else had, that no one else seemed to value in a time of crisis. Dusty was an eternal optimist. He was an earnest young man who tried his best at everything he did, and did it with such cheer and warmth that those around him were often caught up in his infectious desire to do a good job. At that moment, Dusty was doing his absolute best to roll out a soft red velvet carpet from the passenger cars to the escalators leading down from the main landing. He whistled a happy tune while he worked, doing his utmost to keep the carpet straight and tidy. Oh! a shrill voice squealed. That's just perfect! Dusty turned and smiled at the giddy and attractive girl. Oh, thanks, Tammy, he said. There you go, just like you asked for. Anything else I can do for you? Tammy favored him with an appreciative look. You're such a dear. Yes, my good little soldier. You can help me set up the champagne bar in the veteran's car. I've got a few boxes of the bubbly stash in the storage room, and I'm sure a strong fellow like you can help me cart them out. Dusty chuckled. It would be a pleasure, my lady. Tammy linked her arm in his and led him away, chuckling and flattering him outrageously as they made their way to storage. As they entered the dimly lit corridor, Dusty was immediately struck by how dirty these maintenance halls were. Harsh fluorescent tubes glared nakedly from the cheapest of overhead fixtures, flickering and sputtering as they passed underneath. The clicks from Tammy's high heels echoed around them, and Dusty felt a momentary chill. Kinda spooky, he said with a nervous laugh. Like in a scary movie. Tammy giggled and patted his arm. I'm not worried. I have you here to protect me. He grinned at her, then flinched. He pulled away and stared at her, just as the overhead light flickered off. Why, Dusty, Tammy said, puzzled. Whatever is the matter? I, I thought. Dusty started, then laughed. I thought I saw something. Must have been the light, but you looked like... 
the tube flashed back on, and Dusty's eyes went wide in fright. I knew I shouldn't have skipped breakfast this morning, Tammy sighed. She lunged for him, grabbing him by the throat and hoisting him off the ground. Dusty tried to scream, but she clamped down on his windpipe and hissed. Her skin had turned scaly. Dusty felt her claws dig into him, and he stared helplessly into her black, snake-like eyes. "'I guess I'll just have to settle for brunch,' she said. She slammed him against the wall, covered his face with her free hand, and stole his life force in great, ravenous drafts, her eyes narrowed in bliss. At last, she let out a sigh of contentment. She continued down the hall, carrying Dusty's lifeless husk by the throat, until she came to a trash bin. She raised the lid, appraised the frozen look of terror on his face with a smirk, and dropped him in. "'Thank you, my good little soldier,' she purred, and slammed the lid closed. She drew a small compact from her pocket, opened it, and shook her head in dismay at the reflection. "'Well, that just won't do.' Harmony squinted at herself as she rubbed the skin around her eyes and played with the tip of her nose. The scales were gone, at least, but the disguise had fallen away, reverting to her original bone and muscle structure. She took a deep breath, concentrated, and watched herself in the mirror as she willed Tammy to return. Her cheekbones dropped, her nose flattened, and the fullness of her lips blossomed to exaggerated proportions. There! she said, her voice resuming a high-pitched chipper tone. Much better. Now then, let's go kidnap us some veterans before the strain of keeping this face on forces me to have an early dinner as well. Humming a happy tune, she proceeded to the supply room for the champagne. As the train pulled out of the station, Bulwark grunted in relief. They would be late, of that there was no question, but at their current speed they could probably arrive before the ceremony finished, provided, of course, that there were no further delays. When the veterans had finally arrived at the terminal, there were a few moments of happy reunions and some ooing and eyeing over the new Marta car models, before Bulwark and his team had firmly but politely ushered them on. That, at least, had gone smoothly. They seemed eager to see the stylish interior of the rear guests of honor passenger cars. Bull left them with a handful of attendants and echometas and led the remainder of his crew into the older, middle compartments. Unlike the opulent rear cars, these were strictly utilitarian, fitted with simple seating and compartments for baggage and cameras and the Welcome to Echo Atlanta Heroes props. It was actually a funny thought, amusing to Bulwark in a day so far filled with frustration, thinking about how the roadies must have run to set the props up a little ahead of the procession, then run behind them to gather them up again, so no one in the terminal would suffer any inconvenience. As his squads arranged themselves around the bustling group of organizers, trying not to get in their way as they continued in the preparations for their arrival, Bull opted to stand off to one side and take in the organized chaos. His lips curled slightly, his muted version of a frown, as he noted a few discrepancies. Some of the organizers were chatting loudly about body count, gear tally, and checklists, while the others seemed engrossed in what he could only guess as busy work. They moved about, checking straps and harnesses to ensure their gear was lashed and tight, but otherwise didn't seem to be doing much of anything. It was almost as if they were pretending to be doing something, to be doing anything. A shrill voice caught his attention. The main organizer, Tammy, was berating one poor girl, 
something about frayed cushion seats. He supposed that explained a lot. You didn't want to appear idle under Tammy's watch, not unless you wished to suffer her wrath. He wondered how much of Tammy's brittle perkiness was due to her personality, and how much to heavy medication, because running that sort of job was probably a nightmare. Still, something didn't seem quite right. He jerked to attention as screams sounded from the rear. The access door leading to the fifth car flew open, and people streamed out amidst heavy clouds of smoke. Fire! someone yelled. We've got a fire back here! Teams two through four, Bulwark shouted. Converge on car five. Investigate and put that fire out. We are not going to suffer any more holdups today. He joined his forces as they fought the stream of people fleeing from the smoke and joined what Echo personnel were already there. Visibility was nil, though there were plenty of confused shouts of alarm as his squads milled about the car for the source of the smoke. There didn't seem to be anything ablaze, no source of heat, as if... There's no fire in here, Bull! he heard Frankentrain shout. There's just a lot of smoke. Who's got eyes on the source? Bull shouted back. Where's it coming from? No one answered, and no one needed to, as the smoke dissipated. In an instant, the haze cleared, and all the Echo Metas looked about in confusion. That would be me, a voice giggled behind them. They turned to see a girl smiling at them from car four. Faint wisps of smoke hung about her hands and evaporated with a snap of her fingers. She laughed and slammed the door shut. We've been had! Bull snarled and leapt for the door, but stopped as a voice boomed over the in-train PA system. I wouldn't do that, Mr. Echo Man! Tammy shrieked, her shrill cry deafening over the crackling static of the PA. There's an awful lot of boom rigged to blow on the last two cars— and guess who's got her finger right over the boom button? Explosives, which meant hostages, which meant whoever this was, they wanted something. Bulwark wasn't an expert in hostage negotiation, but by necessity, as an echo op, he'd done his share over the years. Still, he had an expert negotiator on the team. Dusty, he growled quietly into his comm unit. You're up. Get up here so she can see your face. There was no answer. Bull turned to look back at his crew. Troubadour wasn't there. Vicky didn't like it. There was nothing she could absolutely pin down. And Bull was right. Atlanta Hartsfield didn't exactly have the best on-time record. But was it reasonable that the baggage conveyors for the retirees, and only the retirees whose planes had come in on time, would suddenly malfunction? Was it reasonable that some kerfluffle in ground traffic control would keep planes on the tarmac when she could see there were open gates? Was it possible that Verd had gotten wind of trouble? It's Verdigree. Of course it's possible. But what possible advantage could there be for him to delay the retiree's arrival until after the memorial ceremony? Delay was going to make no difference to the charter plans. The retirees were all going to go to a party CCCP was ostensibly throwing— the old barn of a building had several rooms that used to hold manufacturing equipment that were all linked together and more than big enough to hold everyone. Once there, Vicky would activate the conference screens for every Echo HQ on the planet. Dixie and Ramona would tell them the real reason for their assembly. Vicky would throw open the lines to Atlanta and the other Echo HQs for remote voting, and that would be that. 
No one at the other HQs knew the reason for the remote link. They all thought it was going to be a chance to see and maybe talk with legendary heroes of the past, and virtually everyone had signed up for the conference. The only people who knew the truth here were all those wired into Overwatch. There was no way Verd could know. The ceremony was well underway. By now, it was obvious that the guests weren't going to make it in time. Verd improvised something. Wait. Vicky used a camera just behind Verdigree to zoom in on Verd's PDA. It was meticulously outlining a second-by-second -second set of notes. That wasn't improvising. It was right there in his notes. Regret that delays hit honored guests. Promise access later. The hell? He was behind it, but why? Before she could signal Bulwark, Bella, or Ramona, the situation blew up in her face. One of her monitors showed all the security camera feeds from every car in the train. It had been pathetically easy to tap into. The bulk of Bull's team appeared clustered in the fifth car. The rest were milling about, confused with the guests of honor on cars six and seven. Bull himself was rushing for the door to the fourth car. The PA system on the train came to tinny life. I wouldn't do that, Echo Man. There's an awful lot of boom rigged to blow on the last two cars, and guess who's got her finger right over the boom button? We're the Rebs, and we'll be your hosts during this hostage crisis. Don't try to leave your cars, don't try to use your powers, or poof. End of hostage crisis, and we wouldn't want to end the fun early, would we? So, yeah, we got us some demands. Rebs my ass. Vicky muttered, and paid no attention to the list of demands that were being read off, because at that moment her standalone Magic 8-Ball computer began flashing the full alert screen and sounding an alarm. Marta hijacking current. Primal cause, Dominic Verdigree. Probability, 100%. Vicky swore in Russian, but her hands were already moving. Overwatch Command, Open Red Savior, Comma Gamma Yun, Comma Open Bella, Private Comma Pride Private. People, we have a hostage situation on the Marta. Repeat, a hostage situation on the Marta. Verd's taken the old-timers hostage. His people, probably Black Snake, posing as Rebs. Armed and dangerous. Commissar, the train is still in motion and is not slowing down. She repeated the demands that the phony Reb leader had made. Those are probably code or trigger IDs for something else. Maybe to tell Verd what stage they're at. CCCP, you guys are the wild card. Verd won't be planning on you doing anything. So, whatever you do, it'll screw him over. Patching you all in full Overwatch group mode now. Those of you with the new rig, use it! You have been listening to Season 7 of The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod, available at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the amazing people at Bay and Books. Follow the series at www.secretworldchronicle.com. Join us on Facebook and check out the authors on Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening.